This is the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a podcast for creatives, for those who are beginning to be creative or those who have built a business around their creativity. Here, we allow creatives to tell their story about how they got to where they are today, and we give some tips on how to make your creative business better than it was yesterday. Hey, everybody, guess what? The creative writing community is now open for membership. I'm so excited about this community because it is going to be dedicated to writers writing their book, publishing their book, and launching their book, all while having a good time and growing in their craft. Writing is typically an all-alone art, but you don't have to be a lone wolf and do everything yourself. In fact, I highly recommend that you don't, just for your own sanity. In the creative writing community, we're going to have live writing sprints, author hangouts, expert Q&As. We're going to learn all about the things that it takes to be an author these days and generally support each other in the craft. It will be a place where you can share your knowledge and learn from others and find collaboration and accountability with people who are serious about growing as writers. We're going to support each other, encourage each other, challenge each other, and be generally as committed to seeing each other succeed as we are to our own success. If you're interested in being part of such a group, head on over to catcaldwell.com and just click the pink button right at the header. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to an episode of the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast. This is episode number 91 And we are at the end of June, June 28th, I believe. Yes, June 28th. Today I have with me Janelle. She's a repeat guest and I'm excited to have her on. We're going to talk about her latest book, The Ice Swan. It comes out on July 6th. And if you check the show notes, you will find a great little local bookstore that you can buy it from. They will have her sign it and ship it out if you like signed books, which I think are awesome. It's like having signed art, you know, the person who wrote it, signs it. It's a nice little keepsake. So we talk about her process with Ice Swan, what it's about, and then we talk about what she's been doing during the pandemic. Our conversation brought up something that I've talked about before, but I kind of wanted to hit on it a little bit more right now. We were talking about how during the pandemic, we felt like we didn't have a lot of creativity juices flowing that it really came down to discipline, disciplining yourself to sit down in the chair and writing. And no matter what your creativity was or is, that's kind of what it comes down to sometimes is sitting down in the chair and just getting it done, right? And she said that when she finished the book, she felt like it wasn't what it should have been. And now she's going through the process with her editor of her editor pointing out sections that might not make sense or need to be, you know, expanded a bit more or explained a bit more. And she talked about how that was kind of a a hit to her ego. And we go into it a little bit more here in this episode. But what I wanted to talk to you about is the need for feedback in our creativity and the need for feedback that doesn't just come from those who really love us. I know that feedback from those who love us has its time, has its place, and is beneficial in a lot of ways. But feedback from other people who are in the trenches of your creativity is actually really vital. 
I started this thing this year. I'm not sure I started in January, but it was in 2021 where every Friday I put out kind of a a rough draft short story. I try to get an ending to it. I try to actually keep it flash fiction. That doesn't always work. But I started that, A, because I think it's important to always be writing, but I put out the rough draft in all its glorious, you know, typos and not fully developed paragraphs. And maybe, you know, I forget to link something here and there and, oh, this could be developed further. And of course, like a rough draft, especially if it's a flash fiction or really anything, is just that. It's just sort of like getting what you see in your head onto paper. And I think that we tend to hoard our rough drafts. Like I I do. I never used to share them with anybody. I have tons of writing on my hard drive and in my notebooks that nobody has ever seen before. But I noticed that anything I do that's hard gets easier the more that I do it. I used to think that interviewing people was really hard the more I do it. I mean, look, we're in our 91st episode together, guys. I hope you've seen that I've gotten a little bit better at it, that I feel a little bit easier in the chair here. I'm a little more comfortable talking to people and guiding them through a conversation. I hope that you see that growth there. I feel like there's a growth there. At least I'm not sweating (laughs) every single time I sit down in the chair. I'm not very nervous anymore. But this also happened, you know, with doing videos, doing coaching, doing live webinars, doing live writing sprints. Anything new that I start causes a flare of anxiety. And that question of why am I doing this? (laughs) And maybe I should just go do something else. I tend to show up for my commitment. So once I commit to it and somebody signs up, I will show up. Uh, Whether there's 10 people or one person, I will show up. And you might not see me shaking in my boots as I do it, but I am. But I notice that the more I do it, the more comfortable I get. And so the idea for putting out a rough draft every week, every Friday, A, it's forced me to write a new flash fiction every week. And I have to say that sometimes it's a struggle to get that done. But it also forced me to be comfortable with whatever feedback might come. And I don't know about your guys' interaction on social media. I don't have a super high interaction on social media. But those who have commented on it, I have had two comments that were specifically about, wow, because you put it out here, I'm going to try my hand out at this and I will share it with you. And I think that's great. I really want to take down the stigma of the rough draft, that it's supposed to be something glorious as though all the famous writers, you know, all they ever did was write one draft and then get get it in the printer. I highly doubt that. I doubt War and Peace was a one draft um, shot. I doubt Pride and Prejudice was a one draft shot. I doubt Harry Potter was a one draft shot. Because really, the first draft is about sort of getting it out. And then you start linking things together in the second, third, fourth and fifth drafts. So what am I saying about this? 
I really want to encourage you again. I know I'm repeating myself again to find a group and not, not really critique group per se, but a group that does your creativity to get feedback because you're in the middle of creating. Not, oh, I created this. I'm done with it. Now, what do you, what do you have to say about it? But, you know, people who are surrounding you during the process, um, something came up in our conversation of, you know, when people say, oh, I think this is missing. And I can imagine it, I mean, in writing, it happens all the time. Your editor will suggest a different way of spinning the sentence or a different point of view or, or verb tense. They will ask you to expand on something or they will give right away suggestions on what you should do. And I assume that in painting and in sculpting and cake baking or whatever it is, people will also, you know, your mentors will say, why don't you do that? Why don't you add red? Why don't you use teal? Why don't you mix these colors? Why don't you cut it this way or, you know, mix these flavors? I don't know. I'm trying to think of all the different creativities that we have going on. And, you know, I I think about Peggy, who was on a few weeks ago and how she took her classes in photography. And it's like, why do we think that people suggesting or sort of this brainstorming or coming out and saying, I don't really know what to do with this character. I don't really know what to do with this piece. Can you guys brainstorm with me? I admit to Janelle, uh, while we're talking, like I used to find that as like a stumbling block of if I admitted that, then the story isn't my story almost. Like I had to get help with it. And what does that say about me as a writer? And that was a really, she brought up that was probably pride, you know, we're just talking together. We're like, yeah, it is a point of pride that I think that I don't need help (laughs) ever. Or that brainstorming together or coming to another person who knows your craft to sort of talk things out is cheating. And such a lie. It's not cheating. It is coming together and figuring out a puzzle. I really hope that, you know, people in the medical field and the space industry and the military and the government and science and all this is, are not trying to do it all by themselves, right? I mean, we expect them to work together and to sort of bounce ideas off of each other. And we find that really, really normal, right? But in your creativity, are you seeking out somebody that you can bounce ideas off of? And let me just encourage you that every time we come together in a brainstorming session in the creative writing community, usually when somebody puts forth a problem that they're having, they come around to the solution. They just need someone to to hash it out with. You know, they need a, a captive audience. They need somebody to be there thinking and talking with them. And sometimes we'll ask questions and sometimes somebody will suggest something. And sometimes the suggestion will really be taken but a lot of times it's sort of a mashup of the suggestion with another suggestion with the the person bringing the problem forward, you know, sort of twisting it and then making, you know, their flash of inspiration and and then it's they're ready to go and write again. And so it's not stealing other people's ideas, it's coming together to help. Does that make sense? Like and I'm talking pretty much to myself where I found that speed bump so debilitating for a long time in writing where I would just feel like I had let myself down, I guess, in my writing if I put forth 
a short story or a novel that wasn't perfect and that needed some sort of editor touch. I'm telling you, I know how much we need editors, but especially if my editor will find something that I should have found, I feel like, oh, maybe I was too lazy and I should have read it again, you know, for the 20th time, or I should have caught that, you know. And I just, I want to encourage us to break that down. I think that putting forth your first drafts, if you want to do that with me, I do it on Instagram every Friday, sharing things that aren't perfect yet and knowing that they're not perfect and being okay with that. The more you submit things to editors, the more you'll be able to break down that sort of cringe pride, oh, you know, frozen deer in the headlight feeling. Um, If you join a mentor group or a group that's just doing your creativity where you can share your stuff or you can talk about, you know, I don't know what's missing. And a lot of times people will say, it's perfect. You're just overanalyzing it, right? And that feels good too. But I really want to encourage you. And I know I might be sounding like a broken record. I think that after the pandemic, it's really important that you find people who are doing your creativity that you can fill up your creativity with, brainstorm with, maybe do the the creativity with them. I don't know how well that works in the creative writing community. We get together and do writing sprints live on the computer, obviously through the internet. And that works really well because we're writing for 20 minutes. We're chatting for five, writing for 20, chatting for five, writing for 20, chatting for five. I don't know if you can do that um, if you're painting or anything, but if you could just even chat with people who know your jargon, who can talk to you about, you know, your latest photography time or, you know, photo photograph shoot. Is that what it's called? A photography shoot? <laughs> or the way you made the cake or the way you mix together the paints or the questions that you have or how did you do this? I think it's really good for your mental wellness. I think it's great to fill up your creativity with. It feels like you're not alone It feels like people are in your corner because they are. So I just want to encourage you again. And as you go into this interview, we try to be as upbeat as possible because we are so excited that things are opening. And Janelle actually has a local bookstore where she gets to do a um, promotion for her new book coming out. So yay, things are opening and things are getting better. Uh, We're going to get better together, guys. We're going to have a good rest of the year, I think. If you guys want to check out my first drafts and do it along with me, it's on Instagram. I'll have the links in the show notes. And as always, Janelle's links will be in the show notes as well. I encourage you, if you like historical romance, to go check out The Ice Swan. And without further ado, here is the interview with Janelle. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to have back Janelle Soselski. She has a new book coming out, and we're going to talk all about it. We've already been chatting, but we're finally going to start recording. Hello, Janelle. How have you been doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me back. Yes, I'm so excited that you have another book out. Now, we know that this book was written already when we talked last, (laughs) so you're already working on more things. Yes. But let's talk about a little bit first about The Ice Swan. This is the new book. It's coming out July 6th for everyone. We're going to have links in the show notes where you can pre-order and read a little bit more, but tell us about this story. So The Ice Swan is set during the Great War, and it's about a Russian princess who is fleeing the Russian Revolution and along with her family, and they end up in Paris 
And she ends up meeting a Scottish surgeon who kind of takes pity on her family as they're fleeing, even though she's not very trusting of other people. And there might be a marriage of convenience. And we have Bolsheviks and advancements in heart surgery and all kinds of fun and adventure. Wow. So you like got the best of both worlds here. I've always been fascinated by Russian history, mm-hmm. especially because it was, it's so bloody. <laughs> really. It is. They have so many wars and just tragedies. And for some reason, it's just, it's incredible to learn about because it's been going on for thousands of years, you know, and then the Romanov dynasty ended it in such, you know, horrific means. And then it's just, it's very dramatic, their country. Like they don't do anything by half measures. They are all in on the drama and growing up, you know, I was fascinated by the Anastasia story. I think like a lot of us were, and there's something about tragedy that draws our attention. I don't know why, but it does. So I always knew her story, but I never knew about like what came after that. You know, I knew the communists came into, um, into power and stuff, but what did that actually mean for the people who were still left in the country? So I got to explore that, which was really cool. It wasn't something that I knew about. Were there people that actually got out? I know Anastasia, we like to, I just love to fantasize that she did get out, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, what was her life like? Mm -hmm. Um, So were there people that got out and got to, they always seemed to flee to Paris too. (laughs) They really liked Paris. Yeah, they did. So they were called the white immigrants. Okay. I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm sorry, but so they're basically, um, the people who supported the czar and the monarchy, so nobles and aristocrats and stuff, when the Bolsheviks came into power, they started hunting down all of these people who were once connected to the czar and they started wiping them out. They were gone. So all of these people, they had to flee the country, you know, for fear of their lives. And a lot of them fled to Paris because it was not under Bolshevik control and it was a major city and they could kind of um, go under the radar there. And they ended up in America and all, all different places too. But Paris was one of the big ones. They established a part of the city that became known as little Neva. So it had all the Russian shops and, and um, the churches and all this stuff right there. So it was like their own little uh, community that they established in Paris and other cities too around the world. But Paris was, was a big one. And I, I never knew about their story. You know, yeah. so if you uh, if you watch the animated Anastasia, yes, or the Broadway show, her grandmother is living in Paris, and True. that's why she's there because she had to flee the Russian Revolution, which so, I never I never put those things together. Yeah, I didn't either. I guess because we we kind of learn history in chunks that are mm-hmm. the same year, but they're like they're separated by chapters in our history books. <laughs> so like, yes. Yes, guess, and it all it all ties into the Great War. Hey, that's what I was going to say. Paris is under war at this point, right? Yeah. So Russia was fighting as part of the Allies during the war, and then when the Russian Revolution happened in 1917, they basically said, "Okay, we're done with the war. We got our own problems at home to deal with." So then they had started having like their own little fights in country. And it kind of left their allies in trouble, you know, because they were fighting the eastern side of Germany 
And so then the Germans started spreading. Yeah, it caused it caused mayhem when they had to back out. Funny, didn't they cause mayhem about 20 years later <laughs> during the Second World War? Yes, they yes. <laughs> they caused a lot of chaos over over in that part of the world, unfortunately. The instability. Yes. So we have a Russian princess. Mm-hmm. I'm so I I'm assuming, I mean, for whether you used it in the book or not, did they did Russia come hunt them in pairs or were they pretty much safe at that point historically like they they got their own problems back home I guess <laughs> yeah I think for the most part they weren't chased after I mean maybe maybe they did have some headhunters go out and try to track them down but I think for the most part they were they were pretty safe there was always the threat of the Bolsheviks coming and taking them. And sometimes they did if you were a high profile mm-hmm. person that they wanted to take back and make an example of. And, sure. and that kind of happens in my story because I couldn't just leave the Bolsheviks in Russia. You know, I needed to no. bring that drama with us. So there's the constant threat of the, the families and stuff being dragged back and executed and right. stopped. Yeah. But I think for the most part, they felt pretty safe once they got out of the, out of the country. I guess you would, Maybe after once the war's over, it would be a little weird for the Bolsheviks to come in and drag people out. But while chaos is reigning, I would still be afraid, at least for a few years, you know? Yeah. And and I, I write about that in the story that even though everyone keeps saying you're in Paris now, you're safe, just that fear, you know, from what they what they were living through back there, you know, it follows them. It's hard to get rid of that kind of horror. And it yeah. just it it um, makes you decide different things and always looking over your shoulder and stuff. And eventually she realizes that she's safe and it's okay to relax now that the threat is gone. But yeah, I think it would be hard to get rid of that, that constant threat. Yeah. And you have to think of like a upper class. She, she had to travel across war-torn Europe to get Mm -hmm. to Paris. So quite the life experience. Yeah. But then you bring in a Scottish surgeon and we all know how you like Scotland. So you managed to weave in Scotland again. I did. Uh, how did you come up with this character? I I needed, so when you meet uh, the princess Svetlana, she's very Russian. Hmm. And so she's very closed off and cold. And I needed somebody to break past that. Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care about your titles. You know, I needed a man to get past all of that and to bring out who who she really is. So Mm -hmm. I needed to have a character who wasn't afraid, who is pretty much the opposite of her. So that's how I came up with with him. And then I needed him to do something because he couldn't just, you know, be lounging around. So I found out that it was during the Great War where cardiology became a thing because before that, Doctors were terrified of touching the heart. It was just a place that you did not, you didn't go there. It just off limits to medical people. And during wars, you know, they always say that necessity is the mother of all invention. And so you have all these men coming back torn up with all these, these issues and stuff. And so doctors want to save their patients. So they will do whatever is necessary, including digging into the heart and, and, you know, fixing things. So that's when cardiology became a thing, but it was very contentious. You know, a lot of the 
the men who had been practicing for years were like, we, we can't do this. This is wrong. And then you had these upcoming surgeons who were like, no, we have to do the best that we can for our patients, including trying new things like opening up the heart. So I thought that was fascinating that be- cardiology came about because of the Great War. And it is fascinating. I, I used the very first um, open heart surgery and kind of made my character sort of do it. Like he read about it in a medical journal and then repeated it. So even though it sounds crazy, some of the surgeries that he does in the book, they were real surgeries. I just took them from history and made him do it. It's crazy. I can't imagine open heart surgery a hundred years ago. I know. And, and you don't even know what you're doing. Like nobody's done it before you. You're just hoping for the best. Wow. You must be a pretty desperate patient, but like, I know my mm-hmm. grandmother had like these giant scars just from 50 years ago. So I can't imagine like cracking open the chest, putting it back when like recovery. Oh, I'm going to go into like panic. Mode. Yes. <laughs> it took a lot of guts. And as you find out in the story, things didn't always end well. And for the patient and for the doctor, you know, sometimes he, right. his colleagues would go after him for doing something that they thought was absolutely ridiculous. So there are a lot of consequences for these life-saving techniques. And fortunately we don't believe that way anymore and it saves lives. Yeah. I mean, cause really the, I, I would assume the first couple dozen people are kind of experimental. Like I got to learn on you, but you're going to die anyway. It's kind of, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the risk they had to take, right? That's, that's weird. Cause we don't think like that anymore. You know, like it's just, it's so regulated. We just, it, it, it kind of like makes you cringe to think that that right. was probably life for a while. Right. So he, I guess you also needed somebody who's not a soldier. So he's in Paris. Is that where kind of cardiology became because of the war? Well, the first surgery was on uh, Malta. Okay. Oh, wow. It was, I know, a soldier who was over in, in Malta and the, the physician there opened him up. And then Paris was a huge hub for the wounded. So okay. a lot of the yeah. medical attention did go to Paris. I think it was actually in Germany where they first started exploring this idea because Germans were very, even before the war, they were very much into advancing medicine. Right. So a lot of other countries were kind of following the Germans example of trying new things. And they're like, you can experiment on yourselves and then. Right. Right? But yeah, a lot of it ended up coming through Paris, you know, because it's a big city and it's right there where most of the battles happened. And stuff. so it was a a natural place to set it in the hospitals. Okay. All right. And was this because of religious reasons, do you think, but not opening the heart or just just superstition? I don't think it was religious. I mean, maybe for some people it it might've been, but I think they just saw it as too big of a, um, too big of a risk. Yeah. If you don't have a heart, you're not going to live. Right. You know, it's one thing to cut off somebody's leg, but it's another thing to go into the heart, which we have to have the heart pumping and, you know, between the heart and the brain, there are, are two most, you know, risky areas to be doing surgery on. And nobody wanted to, to do that. So I forgot how the heart has to pump during the surgery. And now that I'm thinking of it, like you need something pumping the blood. Yep. You know, and one wrong cut, one wrong thing could, could stop the whole. And they did. They had the heart stop 
on the table and they would have to go in and like manually massage the heart to get it pumping again. I know. That's crazy. I know, but these are the things they were dealing with. So you can understand why some of these people were like, no, 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 we're, we're not going to touch that. You just, if he's meant to die, he's meant to die. Yeah. Fate. Oh my goodness. So I assume that you did quite a bit of research yes. for this book. Yes. Oh, so I always told myself that I never want to write a doctor. I find it, I find it fascinating. Never say never. <laughs> I know. But for the longest time, I thought I can never write a doctor because the research, which I love research, but this is a different kind. Like if you mm-hmm. mess it up, you could be in trouble. Like there are very specific ways that medicine is practiced and I didn't want to get it wrong. So I felt very overwhelmed. Right. But as I was putting together this story, I thought he's going to have to be, he's going to have to be a doctor. I'm just going to have to do it. And it was overwhelming. The research was, and I, I did the very best I could to be as accurate to the time period and to the spirit of what was going on in the medical community, as well as what the war was forcing them to do. And I had to learn all kinds of things about heart surgery. Some of it was fascinating. Some of it scared me to death. And I thought, thank goodness I am not a surgeon because I could not do that at all. You know, these, the people who did that were just incredible. Yeah. But it, it was overwhelming. It was a lot of stuff to learn. Oh, uh, so how, how do you do your research? Do you, you were writing it already when you realized that he had to be a doctor. I mean, oh. you could have, no, you weren't, you were just, no, I, I do. I do the plot and the characters okay. before I ever sit down to start writing. Cause I have to know who I'm writing about. Mm-hmm. That's just my process. I want to know who this person is in and out before I even put them on paper, because that will help determine their attitude toward things, the way that they make decisions, even how they speak determines you know, who they are as a person. So I got to know all of that beforehand. Oh my gosh. And then he's a doctor. Um, So that's right. You're a plotter. You plot all of your, your characters. And for people who are listening that don't know the writing world, you've got plotters and you got pantsers and Mm -hmm. pantsers. I don't know why they call them pantsers. They fly by the seat of their pants. They fly by the seat of their pants. They, they, they claim they don't know much about the story before they start writing, I guess. Mm-hmm. They just have an idea and they start going. But plotters are people who do you, so you do the characters, do you also go through each chapter about, or do you just sort of do a arc, a hierarchy of like what's going to come and how it's going to end? Uh, more that. I don't, um, I don't sit down and write an outline. Like 26 chapters and this is going to happen. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't do that. But in my head, I, I know where the story is going right. and I know the points that I want to hit. Mm. And a lot of times between those points, I don't know what's going until I actually get to the scene. And that can be incredibly frustrating for a plotter, but it also leaves me room to wiggle around a little bit because maybe... Right. I wrote something back here and, oh, now I can tie it in over here, you know, and you wouldn't get that if you plotted every single tiny detail. So for me, I like having just a little bit of creativity room, but when I start, I generally know how it's going to go beginning to end. To end. Okay. So marriage of convenience. Mm -hmm. I actually really like those books. (laughs) I do too. 
I love you have to have them live together and then everything gets really heated and contentious. I, and know. Then- <laughs> I, I love that. I love that kind of tension. Writing the tension uh, is my favorite thing to do, even more than the actual, you know, climax of the, the relationship or whatever. It's, just, it's the building up to it that, that I love the most. Yes. If you think about it, there are probably a lot of marriage for convenience for a long, probably most of our world. Yes. <laughs> you it? yes. Like you're just thrust into, to live together and like, you don't really know each other and you're just like, a bit more than putting the top on the toothpaste and putting your clothes in the hamper, like to just right? <laughs> live with someone. Yeah. Marrying for love is kind of a newer idea, you know, in all of our thousands of years of, of civilization, most people, they married for, you know, business deals or protection or consolidation of land or whatever. So it's, it's really nice that we're able to, to marry for love and not think about those kinds of things anymore, but it makes for really good stories. It makes for fun stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes it a little bit easier to have them like run into each other head on and just be right. like, oh. Right. Cause they're under the same roof now, you know, yes. we have to pretend to be a couple now, even though we hate each other, but we really don't. And yeah, I can't admit that. I love you now. I yes. You. Yes. That's my favorite. <laughs> so how was the publishing process with this one? You were already kind of in the midst of it, right? When we talked last. Yes. I wrote this one two summers ago, I think. And I think I had just had Socialite come out. So I was like right in the middle of all this stuff. And, you know, I got it written and I was able to send it off. And it, it was fairly easy this time around. Nice. And it, it comes out July 6th. So mm-hmm. you're doing a collaboration with a local bookstore. Yes. Have you ever done that before? No. No, oh, I'm, I'm very excited to do that. When Socialite came out, I think a month later, COVID hit. Yeah. And so that's we right. went into lockdown. And then my second book came out back in January. We were still right in the middle of COVID. So I haven't had a very good experience of book releases because of a pandemic. <laughs> which has not been awesome. <laughs> so this one coming out, I'm trying to partner with uh, local stores. And some of them are still iffy about doing author events. But it's it's going much better than than the other two where where I had to stay at home and couldn't really you know do anything. Yeah, that's the thing about our um, craft is like you can't. There's only so much you can do. I was talking to somebody who's um, going to come on and talk about Instagram, and I was like, you know, it's on Instagram. It's really about the author more than the work because you can't put a video and be like, this is me writing. <laughs> like, right. I don't care how fast you put that video. It's not going to be interesting. <laughs> right. Yes. Like you, yeah. There's just not as much as that you can do. And I've, I've been to a few zoom book launches, which, you know, you know, support each other and yeah. it is what it is, but it's not, it can get a bit awkward, you know, yes. and silent <laughs> yes. and you can't, you can't sign. I mean, you can, but then you have to mail it out and whatever. So this bookstore, one more page books. And again, we'll have links in the show notes. You're saying that people can pre-order and you are going to sign them. Yes, I am. That's so I'm cool. very excited. It'll be my first book signing. 
So I'm really oh, excited so about fun. it. <laughs> so fun. So if you guys want a signed copy of the ice one, we'll uh, be sure to go to the show notes and click on one more page books. I like that name. It's really mm-hmm. cute. Yeah. It's a really neat bookshop. I've only been able to go to it once, but they are, they're all female owned in there and they're very involved in getting authors to come in and do panels and promoting local stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it's been really good. Like they have some really good authors who come on and do interviews and stuff. And I'm going to be doing an interview with them on release day. Fine. Um, so they're, they're a really neat bookstore. If you get to go check them out once they open up their doors again. Yes. And amazingly enough, I will get to go check them out because I live down the road from them. So. Awesome. <laughs> and anybody else who lives in the DC area or, you know, just come visit us because now mm-hmm. we're open. <laughs> yeah. More or less. Right. Hopefully even more open by then. So, um, so Ice One comes out soon, but I'm sure you've been working on other things. How's it been working during COVID? Your little one did get to go to school a little bit more. She did. It was, <laughs> yes, COVID has been very interesting for the writing process. And when I say that, I mean the lack of writing process. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> right? I um, And no one wants to write about COVID. Like, no. I, I find it a really boring story. And everyone wore masks and stayed home. Who cares? No. <laughs> I want something else. I don't want to hear anything about COVID. But last year, I, I had pitched an idea right before COVID came. And my owner was like, oh, that sounds fantastic. So I was super excited about it. I couldn't wait to, because it's a little bit different than what I've been writing. It's a little more um, of an adventure kind of story. Oh, fine. And then the pandemic hit. And then my seven-year-old is now at home. So I was a full-time mom again. And then my husband is working from home. And it was very, very difficult to find writing time. Yeah. And my husband and I had to take shifts. So he would be the parent in the morning and then I would get to write, you know, and then we would switch in the afternoon, both of us trying to get our work done, but it wasn't like we were able to fully concentrate on what we were doing because you have a small child in the house who needs attention. So it was really, really difficult to have that creativity to be able to sit down and write. And honestly, I didn't have creativity last year. Yeah. I I just felt sucked dry. I just couldn't, I I would put words on paper and it just was not inspiring. And that made me upset because I know I can do better. And I just wasn't reaching that potential that I know I'm capable of, especially after having written a couple of books and felt like I was finally getting my feet in the industry. And it was like a major setback for me. So it was, it was an incredibly tough year as far as that goes. And I'm just now starting to feel, feel it come back. So it's not completely there, but I can feel it coming back, you know, just in time for summer break to be mom again. So that's awesome. I know. How is this happening? (laughs) I, I know. Right. But I'm excited about the story. I'm actually in the middle of edits right now. There you go. It's going to be a duology and it's been tough and I hope people like it. And I'm going to put a disclaimer on there. Please don't be upset. I wrote this during COVID. <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> don't judge me. We did get it done. I mean, I, I can feel you on the creativity thing. 
It's like, oh, well, you writers, you're home all the time. It's like, yeah, but I can pace up and down Mm -hmm. when I can't get something right. Or how is that going to work? Or, okay, wait a minute. I mean, the other day I had to, oh, I had to dig into law because of course I have to have a child custody problem in my new book. So I have to figure that out. And that takes time. And then you're like, oh, I got no writing done, mom. Yep. Oh no. Yep. So I feel you on the creativity. It's just like you felt rushed constantly during COVID. Yeah. Even though we were in the same four walls. Yeah. And you you just you can't get into that headspace that you need to to be able to step into this other world and inhabit it. You know, when you've got your kid, mom, I'm hungry, it's lunchtime, or can I go outside and play? Yep. Yes. And you can't find somebody to babysit them because it's COVID. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, and then, and then you start to get depressed because of it. And then it's just, it's a horrific cycle. And I'm so glad yeah. that we're starting to get out of it now. And that hopefully we can get back to, to the thing that we love doing, you know, cause yeah. I feel like I'm a better mom when I'm able to concentrate on the work that I want to do. And then when she comes home from school, then I can be a good mom because I did what I needed to get done. Yeah. I think it's important to, to point out to anyone listening that all of us went through that. Like, and you and I were talking about it before we feel slightly depressed when Mm -hmm. you haven't had time to write or paint or whatever it is, because that feeds us. It's like, you know, when they talk about introvert, extrovert, well, when you're doing what you love doing, mm-hmm. it feeds you. Yes. It, it's like when you lose your job and you're just like, I don't know what to do right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like everyone's been through that. of just like, I feel down and depressed and that's been on a year. So if anyone's feeling that you are definitely not alone, it was, no. it, it was a hard year. I've talked to a lot of authors who felt the same way that yeah. we were all just depressed and like, we just could not create because that I that's what we're called to do is to create and when you can't do that it just it sucks your soul out and so many authors were not able to write at all I mean I was lucky that I was able to I forced myself to put words down on paper because I have a deadline and I had to get it done but it's not the work that I wanted it to be and so many authors said that and I was relieved that I wasn't the only one struggling it seems we all struggled Yes. Which is kind of weird to feel relief that we're all struggling, but at least, you know, we weren't the only ones doing it. Yes. Yeah. Cause I think also we feed our creativity by, okay, I I'm stuck on this. Like maybe I can go talk to someone or history or go to a library, you know, to get a book on history instead of just Googling. Like you change the place, you change yeah. the atmosphere, you talk to somebody and <laughs> like, go to an art studio. No, no, no. Everybody nope. said no. I'm stuck in these four walls with these people who won't leave me alone. And- <laughs> I can't imagine if I was a painter, it'd just be black. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe slightly gray today. <laughs> like, I don't know. I know our brains were just like, it's funny, but I wonder if now maybe like in the fall, we're just going to have a boom of creativity where everyone's just gonna be like it's summer again that'd be amazing that'd be be lovely wouldn't it that'd be amazing just to to relax and then just get right back into it 
I think like, that would be great. Count out five books. I mean, Janelle will have five books by next year. Just <laughs> she always has so many books coming out. But you said that you forced yourself to write. How how does that look like for you? Not pretty. <laughs> it was it was not pretty. Are we talking bathrobe and hair up and coffee? <laughs> 4 a.m. No, don't, don't I did me. manage to get up and get myself dressed and put on mascara because I have that's to have mascara. It just makes me feel better. Yes. But I that's part of my process because if I feel like a slob, then I can't do what I need to get done. Yeah, my characters usually become a slob at that point. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, that could totally against her personality. Whatever, I'm just yeah. writing that. Yeah. No, it, it. I had to, I had to lock myself down in the basement. Oh, wow. Right. You're in the basement. Yeah. I had to, I couldn't use my nice office here. I had to go down in the basement where it's quiet because my daughter was running around in the house and she talks nonstop and you can hear her wherever it is that you go. So at least in the basement, I couldn't hear her, but I would hear the feet, you know, pounding across the floor. <laughs> so I had to put on giant headphones to drown out pounding feet above my head I'm telling you it's a miracle that I even got that book written and it was it's a huge book I I based it off of um okay I was watching Marvel movies yeah a lot I mean come on of course (laughs) I know right and I was watching the uh, the Captain America ones Mm -hmm. and I saw the Winter Soldier and I'd seen it many times but for some reason this one time when I saw I thought you know what what happens if the winter soldier falls in love, like what kind of story is that? So that's my story. And it's, it's um, like a big action adventure, you know, round the world kind of, kind of a story. So it has a lot of moving parts to it. And that's the story I decided to tackle in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Lots of moving parts is hard. You have to remember where you put them last. Like the next day when you sit down to write. Yeah. In Bangladesh or Ireland. Yes. And it was so you can tell when you go back through it how convoluted it is and where my brain was and was not. And I'm having to rewrite a lot of stuff, which I've never had to do in my books before. Oh, there's never been a pandemic before. (laughs) I know, but you know, this this is what happened. And luckily my editor was able to catch it and be like, this makes no sense. You're gonna have to rewrite this. And and that was a bit of a a hit to my ego. Cause I've never had that before. Um, and it's going to be much better, you know, so thank goodness for editors. But again, it just, it just tells you the state of mind that we were trying to work yeah. through to have this, you know, yes. your outcome. So there is something wonderful about editors though. And I know that writing is kind of, um, alone creativity. Mm-hmm. I guess probably any, any creativity is pretty you do it all on your own, but it's really good to get feedback from people. And it's great when you have a good editor. Yes. Although it is a hit to your ego. Yeah. There's always, I don't know if that ever gets better, honestly. I think, <laughs> you, can, think... you get better at accepting that you're going to have yeah. to fix stuff. Yes. Where you're like, yeah, I totally should have caught that. Yep. <laughs> I did not though. Yeah. But no, it's, it's fantastic when you have an editor, especially an editor you can trust who knows you and knows what you're trying to say. And then they yes. can help you figure out 
how to express it better. And they believe you can get there. <laughs> yeah. Like you have this idea and you're so close and the editor will help you be like, you know what, if you just did this, it would be amazing. And you think, why didn't I think of that? So yes. Sometimes you need that outside person to help take the blinders off so you can see the possibilities. Yes. And I think that's a learning step for any writer. It was for me of like, is that cheating? Is that cheating if somebody tells me that I should do this? Like for some reason for years, I thought like if they give me a a part of the puzzle that I'm missing, then I didn't come up with everything. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And yet for anyone who goes to study art at the university or gets their MFA or whatever, they're constantly getting feedback. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a weird I guess, stumbling block for me. I don't know if it was for you or you're just like, oh no, it's still my story. (laughs) Well, I, yes, it still is my story. I think mine is more of a pride issue because I think I should have thought of that. Why didn't I think of that in the first place? So I get frustrated with myself and then like, I don't give myself enough grace that I, I don't have to have it all figured out. It's okay other people to come in and help me. So that's something that I still struggle with, even yeah. though I, I do welcome the feedback. I, I do. Right. Cause how right. are you supposed to get better? Right. Yeah. I think it is pride. I don't know. That's kind of a level of pride where you're like, well, I just, I just, I don't know. I'm disappointment in yourself. of like, I should have figured that out. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> yeah, but that's why we have editors. But that's why we have editors. Thank goodness for the editors. Mm-hmm. For anyone who is who is listening. So now you're in the editing phase. Yes. Um, back and forth. And do you have any idea when that that one's coming out? I think so. It's a duology, and I think oh. the first one is supposed to come out next spring. Okay. All right. So you still have time to figure yes. that out. Yes. I I'm working on my first round of edits right now. I'm trying to get them done before school lets out because that's oh, good be luck. You have like two days. <laughs> okay. I know. Right. And then, uh, and then I'm getting, they're starting this in me book covers to look at, which is always fun. I love that's doing so that. Fun. So yeah, I'm right in the middle of it. And then, you know, promoting the, the book release next month. So it's, it's a busy couple of weeks. You are going to be very busy. Yes. And then once all this is done, I have to go back and start writing the second part of the duology. And it's, and you just keep going, keep going, just keep pushing. And, That's the and writer I'm, I'm thinking of the next idea to start writing after that one. So I'm always pushing forward. Yes. I mean, but I guess this is the life we've chosen, right? Yeah, but I wouldn't change it. I mean, I love no. doing it. Yes. I'm incredibly stressed out right now and I'm pulling my hair out constantly, but I wouldn't change it. I love it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to see what a few pages with ink on it can become, you yeah. know, even if you're sort of like not fully concentrated the whole time, it can actually through edits and through yeah. some sitting down and taking a deep breath, it can become the story that you knew it could become. Yes, you know? exactly. And sometimes stories take longer than others. I don't know why, you know, yeah, sometimes it's like pulling teeth. Isn't it? Even though it's like, it's here. Yeah. I always tell people like, I have a whole movie in my head. It's, it's putting it into words. Yes. If you could just get into my head, it would be fine. Yes. Yes. I feel that way. And it's some days, some days it's so easy. They just, the story just flies out of you. And other days you're like, this is, I don't know why I can't put it down on paper. It's just not coming to me. And exactly. it happens. Like, I just need you to get to this part. 
Mm-hmm. Actually, there are certain parts that are really fun to write. Like I enjoyed dialogue. I enjoyed the like tension parts, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said, the, it's getting to those parts that sometimes you're like, I don't know. Can I, I just skip over doing. all this and just get to the fun part? Yeah, I, I think that all the time. The TV fade out. Right? <laughs> it's like you fill in the blanks. <laughs> Put it in your head, guys. Right. Well, um, as far as the ice one goes and book covers and all that, where can people find you? What is your website and your social media so that they can see these things when they, they come out? So the best way to get a hold of me or to find out all of my media links and all that stuff is on my website, which is JanelleSelsky.com. And on there, you can find links to where to buy the books. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter, which I try to have all of the important information that you might want to know and um, where to connect with me on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. So my website is the best place to go. Right. Yes. And, and they'll be able to find, I'll put the link in there because Janelle Soselsky might not be spelled exactly how you think. Probably (laughs) not. (laughs) But um, so they'll be able to find the ice one and then will you have a copy or I guess a clickable link to go see your interview with one more page books. They're interviewing you on July 6th. Yes. They are setting it up right now. And as soon as they get the event set up, I will be sending out a link. It'll be on their Facebook webpage. Perfect. So the the best thing that people can do is go to JanelleSoselsky.com and sign up for your newsletter and get all exactly the info there. Exactly. Awesome. And sometimes and I have sneak peeks for the chapters for the books or giveaways or fun ooh, stuff. Yeah. Lots of fun stuff. And just so that everyone knows if Janelle was on the podcast in January and she has quite the backlist if you're looking for summer reads and they are fun, mm-hmm. fun reads. <laughs> so uh, we talked about beauty among ruins last time. So if you want to hear it, I mean, that title is just perfect. Just, I know. And it's set in Scotland. So <laughs> it's set in Scotland. <laughs> we talk about Scotland again. Right. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Janelle, for coming on again. Well, thank you for having me. I always have a good time talking to you. Yes, I do too. We'll have to come on and tell us all about your adventure book next year. When Yay! It comes yes, The Winter Soldier. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.